Welcome to the Fierce Mothers podcast, where we help black and brown women find guidance and inspiration every week. We are so excited to have you listen in. I'm your host, Gochi Onyewu. In today's episode, I am talking to the dynamic and super inspiring Dr. Vikisha Fripp. Dr. Fripp is a board certified plastic and reconstructive surgeon and author. A respected leader in her field, she has a passion for empowering others to find personal success and happiness beyond achievement. Beyond her medical career, Dr. Fripp is actively involved in various organizations that promote children's welfare, literacy, and health promotion. Dr. Fripp lives in Washington, D.C. with her dynamic 11-year-old daughter and energetic 9-year-old twin boys. Outside of medicine, she enjoys distance running, traveling, reading nonfiction and mystery novels, engaging in discussions on world history and religion, and creating new adventures with her children. This episode was so inspiring and motivating. We talk about finding happiness beyond achievements, a subject Dr. Fripp delves into in great detail in her recently published book. We also talk about empowering the next generation, nurturing the mind and body, balancing passion and parenthood, and so much more. Hi, Dr. Fripp. It's so nice to see you. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for having me. It is truly my pleasure. I am so excited. This is going to be amazing. I think so too. Yes. I think so. Yes, 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 yes. So I've already introduced you to the audience so they know a little bit about how awesome you are. But maybe you can just tell us a little bit about yourself. Where were you born? What childhood memories do you have? Who's your biggest role model from childhood and why? Let's get Hmm. to know you a little bit. Okay. So I was born in Latson, South Carolina. It is a very, very rural place, Hmm. like farmland. Like I picked the feed for chickens. I fed the chickens. I picked the eggs, that kind of thing. I mean, it was an amazing growing up there because I didn't have the outside influences children have now. So there were no major influences on my life other than my nuclear family because we were protected by having them around us. So I remember mainly going to the beach with my family. We would all pile into this one long Fleetwood Mac my grandfather had. And, you know, that's back in the day before kids wore seatbelts. We would just all just pile into the car and we would go to the beach and be there all day. I mean, it was an amazing treat to be around my family. Mm -hmm. The major childhood memory I have is just feeling safety and comfort in my family. And that's something that I've looked for in every single relationship, every single workplace, everything is a safety and a comfort because that's truly where I feel I perform and I am my best. My role model growing up, I would have to say would be my older brother. So we're only 18 months apart, but because we share the same experiences growing up, he was my first friend. He was my protector. I mirrored my behavior after him, though I will say he is very calm and he's very patient. And those are not traits that someone would typically say that I possess. (laughs) 
So I don't know that I got everything from him, but I patterned my behavior after him in that he took it all in, digested it, and then would come back with something to say, whereas I tend to be more reactionary to things. Mm. So maybe his personality kind of balanced yours out. Right. It did. It did. It really did. Growing up, people called us. His name is Carlton. Mm. So people would call us Carlton and Keisha. It was almost like an Eminem type thing because yeah. he was the other side of the same coin. Yeah, I love it. The audience obviously know that you're a trailblazer in plastic surgery. I'd like to ask you what challenges you face. But before that, I, I think one question I really would like to ask is, how did you decide that you wanted to study plastic surgery or become a plastic surgeon? So in medical school, I did have exposure to a plastic surgeon, but it was very brief. My goal was really to do trauma surgery. So I came to Howard University and, you know, we were a level one trauma center when I arrived and we did a fair share of trauma. At that time, it was truly the knife and gun club is what we called it. So we were very busy, very busy. And I actually lost a 13 year old. And it was so impactful to me because, and I wrote about it in my book, he had braces. And I know what that commitment is, not just for the child, but for the parent. So when you put braces and you have to go back to the orthodontist every month and you have to make sure the brackets are not broken and you have to change your diet and curve your behavior. And I know the investment they made in him. And when I lost him after two different, um, what we call code yellows or two different traumas that he experienced at 13. I knew I couldn't do that. I am a take my job home person. And that was so impactful. I couldn't imagine staying in trauma. So I knew I had to do something fast. Uh, at the time at Howard, the vice chair, the second in charge was a plastic surgeon. And so I found myself liking his surgeries, being having a natural affinity for what he did and how he did it. And so I threw myself into following him being on his service, even when I was not on his service, trying to really get the full breadth of what the specialty was. And I fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. And I really have to say, I think his name is Robert Dennis. I, he's from Liberia. And I really thank him for opening up himself in his practice to someone like me who I wasn't sure, mm -hmm. but it was okay that I wasn't sure he was going to allow me to see so that I could make that decision. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It speaks to, there's so many ways we could unpack that it speaks to the power of mentorship and having yes. someone in yes. your corner and yes. someone you can look up to and feel safe with, like yep. you said. Hey, see, yeah. we yeah. can be our best selves when we feel safe. Absolutely. I think that's underestimated. I, mm. I think that we take for granted that we have the ability to make someone feel comfortable mm. or for them to just exhale and be themselves. Mm. Mm, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. So talking about safety, I know that as safe as you felt around Dr. Dennis and deciding to become a plastic surgeon, I'm sure as a female <laughs> African-American plastic surgeon, you have faced challenges and we would love to hear about some of those, <laughs> how they shaped your career and even your perspective. Talk to us. Yeah, you're right. You know, I will say, though, that my greatest challenges as being the first, the only was really in not knowing what questions to ask, because I didn't know how to purchase my first home, what I should say. I didn't know how to ask the right questions when negotiating my first contract. I didn't know what to say when I needed a promotion or deserved a promotion. I didn't know how to say, hey, what about me? Right. Because I was the first person in that space. At times, I felt I was overly grateful when I deserved to be there. 
right? Now, I never had the imposter syndrome. I never asked, why am I here? I knew that I'd done the work. I knew that my parents were not the reason why I was there. No one had made a phone call on my behalf. I was truly there because I did the work, but I didn't know what questions to ask. And so I was paid less. I was passed over for promotions, right? And so after that happens a few times, you start to say, wait a minute, now is it the person doing this or is it me? And it, I, I take full responsibility for not asking. So I've learned to ask the question. You know, growing up, my grandfather always said the answer is no, unless you ask it. But I never really put that to work in my life until probably four or five years into actively practicing my craft. And so I began to ask the question. I learned how to frame it in a way that was non-threatening because people sometimes are threatened by us even asking. So I would come in a non-threatening manner just to find out why was I being paid differently from my comrades? Why was I not considered for that promotion? Is there still room on that committee for another addition? That's the way I would frame it. And so my greatest challenges, I think, was assuming positive intent. Being from the South, we always assume that people are going to do for us and have good intentions. And they may, but their intentions may not be what mine are. So I learned how to articulate what my ask is and go ahead and put the question out there. Mm. And that's so helpful. That's so helpful in any field, right? Because I think very helpful. Yeah, that's going to help a lot of people in the audience. Thanks for clarifying that, for sharing that with us. Of course. So your journey obviously is remarkable. I'm sure you know it. (laughs) I'm sure people tell you that your journey is remarkable. Share with us some of your most rewarding moments in your career that have reaffirmed your passion Mm -hmm. for helping others through your work and have really solidified your decision to be a plastic surgeon. I would say my time doing breast reconstruction. Mm -hmm. So when I arrived in D.C. in 2011 um, at the hospital where I joined, they were not doing breast reconstruction or breast reconstruction was thought of as a nicety. Only certain people got breast reconstruction. Right. It was not offered to all. They would tell women, well, at least you have your grandchildren. Or at least you have your second home. You should go and go on more vacations. And so having grandchildren and having a second home are not the same thing as having a breast, right? They're yes. just, those things are like apples and croutons. They don't right. have anything, right? We, I mean, both edible, but nobody wants a crouton when they want an apple, right? Mm-hmm. And vice versa. And they actually thought of the surgeons were actually thought of breast reconstruction, just like I'm going to put a bag of water on a chest and that's going to be something to substitute for a breast. I'm just going to put a breast implant, you know, in that uh, area where there was a breast and that's going to be sufficient. And that's really not what breast reconstruction is. It is truly trying to recreate a breast. Now it will never be never be as the native breast is because God made us in his own image, right? And so we can't duplicate that even with all the skills we have, but we can come close and we can definitely give it a try. And we can definitely say more to women than go forward with the rest of your life because being whole is the life, right? So my most meaningful time was the 10 years I spent doing breast reconstruction. When I stopped doing it, I did it um, willingly because the newest techniques coming out are taught to the newest people coming out of training, right? Not that I can't do it, but the kids coming out now, the new, the younger plastic surgeons are learning modalities that I don't know. And the new kids deserve to do those techniques on people who need it the most. And so I 
graciously gave my space away so that younger plastic surgeons could enter that space. Again, not that older plastic surgeons can't do it. I just did not have the same passions that I had before. But I tell you, that was the most rewarding time of my life because the patients, when they found out that, you know what? Yes, it sucks that you have cancer. Nobody would have raised their hand, agreed to have it. But now that you have it, we have something to look forward to. And that's reconstructing the breast. It was the end bonus once they were cured from the disease. Yeah. And, you know, you you said two things that that stuck out to me, um, just being able to have that empathy and help patients. And I think it's having that female touch. Candidly, it is. It is. <laughs> it's just having that, yeah. Understanding what they're going through. But there's something that else that you called out that, that's leading me to my next question. You talked okay. about making room for younger plastic yep. surgeons, right? With yep. the new modalities. Yep. And so to that point, which is awesome, by the way, that you, you're thinking <laughs> in that way, it's almost like a way, a Thank legacy, you. right? Leaving a legacy for the next generation. But as a female, again, African-American in a traditionally male-dominated field, when you mm-hmm. think of plastic surgeons, you immediately think of an old white man, candidly, at least yeah. I do, because I'm not a physician, right? So as a yeah. female African-American, what advice would you give in the in the same vein of giving room for the next generation? What advice would you give to aspiring surgeons, particularly people who may be in the audience listening, thinking, because I have people of all ages in the audience thinking, you know what, I may want to be a surgeon one day. Right. What kind of advice would you give to them who face surgeons who will face or who may right. be facing similar barriers to what you you have faced in your lifetime? You know, it's going to sound very colloquial, but I, what I say is just do it. Mm. Nobody can want your dream more than you. Mm. Nobody can believe in you more than you believe in yourself. You can't give a person aspiration mm. if it truly is what you want to do. Just do it. Mm. I had some incredibly lonely days during my plastic surgery fellowship because I was the new person. Right. And while my fellowship um, chairman, he believed in my dreams. He did. He didn't know me like they knew me at Howard. He didn't know me like they knew me at Meharry. He didn't want the same things they wanted for me at Fisk. I was comfortable in those environments because they knew me and they wanted me to be successful. Now, granted, he would never have accepted me if he didn't want me to be successful, but he didn't have that same feeling of knowledge of who I was. He didn't know me. Right. And so I had to tell myself, you know what? In two years, you're going to be a plastic surgeon and they can't take that from you. Nobody can. Mm-hmm. They can't. So, OK, you don't get the same smiles that you got before. But I got the smiles from the security guard. I got the smiles from the people who cleaned up the operating room. I got the smiles from the front desk clerks. I got the smiles from people who I could relate to. And sometimes you have to relate and get your strength from people who are giving it to you. Right. You can't lean into everybody. If people don't know your dream and don't believe in you, that's fine. They don't know you. But those people who see your talent, see your gift, believe in you, you have to lean into them. But the first thing you have to do is it. Just do it. Yeah. People have failed before. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let's say you let's say the worst thing that happened was you failed. Guess what? People have failed before. Mm-hmm. You would mm-hmm. not be the first. Mm-hmm. But and nobody can believe in your dream more than you believe in it. Mm-hmm. Nobody. That's so, you know, that's so powerful. Nobody can believe in your dream nobody. more than you, you believe in it. Nobody can want it more than nobody you want can it, want right? it. Nobody. Yeah. yeah. Nobody. Yeah. 
That's great. That's great. Talk to us about the rise of social media. You know, when you go on Instagram, everybody has the BBL or not everybody, but it seems like everybody has the BBL and the boob job and all the rest of it. So I'd love to get your perspective, especially as a a woman. What are your most significant challenges today with with regards to how people just have this image of themselves or want to come in looking like a particular celebrity? How do you address some of those challenges? Well, a few things, you know, it's it's always strange to me that in the last year I've done over 400 surgeries. Right. But Keisha from Capitol Hill, who had one surgery, is the expert. Mm. Right. Not the person who trained. <laughs> right. Not the person who spent endless nights doing this, who knows what complication looks like. But Keisha from Capitol Hill, who had one surgery, is who you're going to follow. That's always amazing to me, but it is what it is. And I always say you can fight where you are or you can see what it is and then maneuver around it. And the way I maneuver around it is when patients come in, they say, I want to look like I'll make this up. Jennifer Lopez. I just reference them back to saying you don't do anything. Jennifer Lopez does except breathe oxygen. Mm. That's the only thing you all have in common because you don't know her genetics. You don't have the financial means to do what she's able to do post-surgery. If she had surgery, we're just Mm -hmm. making this up, right? Mm -hmm. You're not able to even have the garments that she has. Right. So, So let's not reference her. Let's try to be the best you we can be. Let's do that. Let's focus on that. So I actually go around those questions. I don't tolerate or entertain any questions comparing what I do and what Keisha from Capitol Hill does. I don't. I ask them to make their own decision on who they want to follow, but I don't go back and forth with people on what the street knowledge is. I I can't compete with that because what your cousin's sister's babysitter's mother had is going to be different from what I had training at Howard and Cornell. Those are Mm -hmm. going to be different fields of knowledge. So I don't get into that. And patients really can see um, from what I say and the way I deal with them because I am the surgeon who will hold your hand the entire time. Mm-hmm. I am. I'm not going to disappear. I'm not going to reference you to go to the emergency room. That's not something that I say. I will meet you in the office. Mm-hmm. I will come in the next day. I will meet you late. I'll meet you early. Wherever you are, whatever you need, I will hold your hand through the entire process. Mm-hmm. So if you want this, that's fine. But if you want someone who shows you Photoshop before and after photos, someone who lets you see them operating on other people, someone who is all on the internet, you know, with all these little colloquial catchy terms and wearing personalized scrubs. And if you want that, that's fine too. But that's not me. Yeah. 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 You can't compete with that stuff. You just let that go because it'll be what it will be. Right. Mm. I just offer who I am. And the person who has the affinity for me will have the affinity for me. Yes, yeah. yes. You yeah. will find your people, right? Absolutely. Isn't that so true? Absolutely. In every field, you will find Absolutely. your people. And that, what I love is that your authenticity, be who you are, yes. and your people will find you, mm-hmm. the real you, right? Not something version. So thank you for sharing that. Of course. Congratulations <laughs> on your new book. So you wrote a book. Thank and I, you. you know, I just love the premise behind this book, you know, and the title. For the audience, and by the way, I'll make it available in the show notes so people can get a copy. You have to get this book. The title, How I Found Personal Success and Happiness When Hard Work Wasn't Enough. That is so powerful. Tell us about the inspiration behind this book. What motivated you to write it? Yeah, you know, it's so funny because I was terribly unhappy and no one knew. Terribly unhappy because medicine had changed 
from the time I started medical school in 1999 and the time I started practicing medicine in 2006. In that seven year time frame, there were so many things that changed, but I still thought my reward would be exactly what I saw in medical school, that the mentors that I had, I would live that same kind of life. I would have the same reverence by patients. The hospital administration would think of me in the same way. I would be used in the same way. And it, those things were not true. And I don't blame medicine for changing because everything changes. But while I had my head down studying, I never looked up to look at the landscape and say, hey, that's good. That's a little different from what you saw. And so I just banked all my happiness on my career as a plastic surgeon. So when I finally finished and I was practicing and I was not getting the rewards, I just started grinding harder. Mm-hmm. I just started, I joined committees at the hospital. I joined medical societies. I was involved in everything you could be involved in because I knew that happiness was right around the corner. It had to be. So I chased every corner looking for, I don't know if it was rainbows and butterflies that I thought would drop from the sky, but it was a feeling that I thought I would have and I did not have it. And I will say that one day I had a large mirror in my foyer in my other home and I walked past the mirror and I thought, who is that? Mm -hmm. Not because I didn't look like this, but I didn't have the same joie de vie. I didn't have the same zest that if people know me, I saw a friend today and she said, you are the same person that I've known since 1992. And that's true because I've always liked who I was. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to ever be the best of everything, but I like what I, who I am, what I'm doing. And I didn't like that person I saw in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And so I thought you have to do something different. And my journey to doing something different to finding the other side of happy is why I wrote the book because I knew I wasn't alone mm-hmm. because I talked to different friends and trying to figure out what my unhappiness, where it stemmed from. And they were going through the same things. Mm -hmm. It was a discontentment with medicine because medicine had been changing the whole time. Mm -hmm. And we were still stuck on the medicine we fell in love with, even in our teenage years. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. That's interesting. And, you know, as you have this book published now, and I I know that there are people, my daughter, for example, read the book and loved it. How do you envision your book contributing to empowering the next generation of female potential surgeons and medical professionals? To your point, right? right? The medicine that you fell in love with had changed. So I'm sure that medicine is going to continue to change. So the medicine that they may fall in love with today may not be the same in a few years. So how do you envision that book helping them? Well, that's one of the fundamental reasons why I wrote the book Mm. Um, is for that type A, the overachiever, the go-getter, the person who says, as soon as I become a lawyer, as soon as I get my MBA, as soon as I graduate from medical school, as soon as I graduate from undergrad, because I'm graduating from, you know, the biggest names, the Harvard's, the, you know, I'm grad- as soon as I graduate, then it will be, my life will be just amazing. I want you to stop. I want you to stop. And I, I really want you to take inventory of where you are and what you think happiness and how you define happiness. Just right now, Right. Just stop. Not for how you define happiness for your family or how you define happiness based on what you were told, because I often ask people who told you that. Mm. That's my favorite question to ask. Who told you that? Right. So who told you that that would be your happiness? And how do you define that? Let's script that down. Let's write that out. Because if you know that your happiness is not in graduating, though, it can be an amazing time. Graduation, your family comes, all the gifts, et cetera. 
happiness is a daily thing you have. It really is. And some of it is a choice. Some of it is, but it's not all a choice. It is truly the optics, mm. right? There's an old song that says, I counted all the joy. Yeah. And you really have to sit down and say, what is the joy that I have? And every day you have to seek that same thing, right? Because it sometimes there'll be events that'll move you off the center. They will. But you had to come back to the center where the joy is. Mm -hmm. That is the other side of happiness, Mm -hmm. finding out what your joy is. For me, I had been searching in every corner, just going around, going. I mean, I was running myself crazy. And I finally said, Vakisha, let's let's redefine what your happiness was. And I already had it. So I was fortunate. I already had it. Everything in my life was joyful. Everything. I mean, you know, we're mothers, so our kids can wear us down. I mean, they can wear (laughs) this, this little... Oof, my little snowflakes sometimes can be, ooh, they are a lot. But at the end of the day, it is a joy and a pleasure to be their parent. It is a gift that God has given me to lead them. And when they go too far off, sometimes I have to ask myself, how'd they get that far off? Right? Is it something that you did or did not do? Because if it is, go back to the root of why they're so far off from how you want them to behave, react, and be. Right? And so I just tell them because medicine was changing and I wasn't, I went back to see what was still, what were the things that could bring me happiness? What were the things that could bring me joy? Taking a true inventory of my life. And that's what I would tell everybody who finds themselves 10 years too late to now be a, I mean, now I can't be a singer. I can't be a professional dancer. Girl, these joints won't allow that, right? (laughs) I don't know that I was the best dancer in the first place, but I clearly couldn't do it now, right? So 10, 15 years too late to change. Mm -hmm. What can bring you joy and happiness where you are? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that. That is so powerful. That's so powerful. Thank you. Speaking of your snowflake, I think you referred to (laughs) (laughs) I know, Dr. Fripp, you are busy. You're Mm -hmm. a mom. You're a published (laughs) author. You're a successful surgeon, plastic surgeon. You are busy. You know, it's it's funny how we we say sometimes I'm too busy for X, Y, Z. You know, then I say, well, there are people who are busier than you. And case in point, Dr. Fripp, right? I have no excuse. But to that point, I'm sure the audience will want to hear and I want to hear what strategies you use to maintain a healthy work-life balance, whatever that is, amidst such a demanding lifestyle. You know, I am unapologetic about taking time for myself. Mm -hmm. So I typically craft the last Wednesday in every month as a day that I take off. I I don't give a person a reason why Mm -hmm. I'm unavailable. I'm unavailable for everybody Mm -hmm. on that last Wednesday is when I don't run errands. I don't make that a CVS day or grocery store day, or I I don't, I I leave that day completely free Mm -hmm. in my mind. It is a day where I would be working. So I don't fill it up with things to do. Mm -hmm. And then as the day approaches, then I start to think, what do I need to do for me? Is that a day when I go on a long run? Right. Is that a day when I'll get, you know, 10, 15 miles in? Is that what I'll do that day? Is that a day where because I stand and I work so much that I'll go and have a massage and I don't do the same thing every month? Or maybe I do. It depends on what my body needs. Mm. I'm also a, a reader, a logo file, and I craft time every Wednesday at, for one hour between 630 and 730 for me to read. 
Now, sometimes because my kids are incredibly active and they're in all these sports, I have to read in the car. But that's fine because I turn my phone on do not disturb. I lock the door in the car so my kids cannot just run up to the door and start knocking, get in the car and start asking me questions. Mm -hmm. I'll park far away if they're at practice, away from where people can see me. And then I read during that time. If I'm home, my children know not to bother me. I've been doing this so long. They don't have any questions. If the house is burning, just get out. Just don't, don't, don't look for me. Just get outside. Right. So they know that this is my time because I have to pour back into me. In college, the minister said, we want to all drive the car, but we never check to see if there's gas. Mm. Right. We want to drive our body, which is this car, but we don't get the oil change we, the car deserves. Mm. We don't check the tires. We don't, we don't allow it just to get a car wash, mm. right? We don't get a tune-up. Mm. We don't even check to see if we have gas. Mm. We just keep driving this car, which is our body. I refuse to do that. Yeah. I refuse because I also want my children to see not only am I their mother, not only am I a surgeon, not only am I a friend, I'm a whole person mm. that I deserve my time for myself as well. Mm. And so yeah. they then can mirror that when they see mommy is doing mommy's thing. Mm. Right. So I travel. I travel without my children. I've always done that. When my boys were two, I went to Cuba for eight days mm. because I have to have time for myself so I can show them the best version of me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So there is no excuse for any of us not to do the same. No. Right. And don't Treat give an excuse to people. Yes. Don't. I think as women, we always say no, comma, and then we have a long reason why, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Be like, mm-hmm. I can't do it, comma, because mm-hmm. I have to do it. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. My answer is no, love. Yeah, yeah. I mean that. No. Awesome, awesome, mm-hmm. awesome. Thank you. I love that. I love that. I'm so excited. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that response. One of the last few questions I'd love to ask you is around diversity and representation in the medical field, particularly in surgery particularly in plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. I actually try to do a search on Google and you may know this. <laughs> like how many African-American female plastic surgeons are there in the U.S.? Couldn't find a response. Right. Couldn't find a response. Right. So I'm sure you can relate to this. How do you advocate for greater inclusivity and representation, not just in the medical community, but in your specific field? Yeah. So, you know, we know you can't be what you don't see. Mm-hmm. And so I run into people all the time. They say, I don't know there were black plastic surgeons. Oh, what? what? Oh, I, didn't, I didn't know we had black female plastic surgeon in mm-hmm. D.C. I'm like, really? Wow. So if you don't know that, then how would a young kid know or a person in college trying to find their way, a person in medical school? How would you know if you don't see? So what I do, whenever somebody tells me they have an interest in dermatology or plastic surgery, I don't care if it's in D.C., it's in Alabama. I make sure I call a colleague and ask them, can this person shadow you? Can they be your scribe? Right. Because people want someone to work for them. Basically, that's what it is. But that work in turn gives you exposure. Mm -hmm. I don't care what your hue is. If you're doing something and I know you and I know that someone is interested, I ask. Mm -hmm. I think we're too scared to ask. We're too scared to ask the neurosurgeon that we know who operated our grandmother. Can Mm -hmm. my son follow you for a week? We're Mm -hmm. too scared. We are. We don't have, we don't ask. And if you don't ask then you won't get in the door and you won't be able to follow them around to see if that's what you want. Mm-hmm. I thought I wanted to be a pathologist at one point, a medical examiner. Mm-hmm. 
once I start falling around the pathologist, I recognize, uh-uh, this is different than what I saw on television. <laughs> this is not, this is not Quincy. This is not, this is not Quincy. I'm not cool like Quincy. <laughs> I will not be able to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. right? But right. I would not have known that, right? And the mm-hmm. medical examiner in Nashville was a Caucasian man. Mm-hmm. But I went up to him at a conference and said who I was, where I trained, and that I was interested in doing it. And he said, meet me on Monday. Mm-hmm. And guess where I was on Monday? Now, by Tuesday, I knew I didn't want to be back there, but I finished up my week with him. Yeah, That was not something I wanted to do, but I would not have known Right. And we're too scared to ask. I remember in medical school, one of my classmates, father was a huge, well-known internal medicine doctor at Vanderbilt. And so he asked his dad if we could rotate in his office. His dad said, no, you Mm. could rotate at the whole hospital. Mm. I'm going to ask my colleagues to welcome all the students in who want to rotate. Right. And if he hadn't asked, we would never been there. But now that relationship is set because back in 96, he asked his father, who was a Caucasian male, if his classmates who were Mm non-Caucasian could come in and follow. And his dad said, not just my office, Mm -hmm. but everyone Mm -hmm. office in this building you all have access to. Mm -hmm. You know, as you're talking, a question just occurred to me. So you sound so confident. And what I love just in the short time talking to you, you have a very positive outlook on life. And I know that you haven't had it all just dreamy and peachy, right? Right. So I guess the question I have is, as people are listening to you, they're probably thinking, well, she was probably just born confident, or she was probably just, you know, in a had things easy, right? So I guess the question I have for you is, how did you develop that? Because, you know, I, I completely agree, just ask, and that's so powerful, just ask. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure there are people that are thinking, but I'm too scared to ask. Like you said, right. what do I do if I'm too scared? What if they say no? How do I build up the confidence? What do I say? What would right. you say to people like that who don't necessarily think they have the confidence right. to just ask, you know? Right. And, you know, I would always say I go back to that. The answer is no. Mm-hmm. If you don't ask it, mm-hmm. it truly is no. Mm-hmm. Right. I have not always meant, well, I can't say that. You know, I may be one of those people who was foolishly <laughs> confident, right? So just so you know, growing up, I've always, I'm tall, I'm 5'10". Mm-hmm. I've always been 5'10". I honestly don't remember being a height shorter than this. So in the third grade or fourth grade, I was 5'10". <laughs> so I was the tallest person. My hair used to be a brownish, reddish, and I, my mom put this jerry curl. So I was just, I was a mess, okay? I mean, I was a mess. <laughs> I suffered from acne. I mean, I just was just, I was a mess, okay? Mm-hmm. Aesthetically. Mm-hmm. Right. I was flat on the front, flat on the back. So it wasn't like I had this amazing shape. Right. I was just a tall girl, but I knew I was smart. Mm. I knew that. And the things that I didn't have, I was OK with. Mm. And I don't know why I was OK with that early, because I always believed what is for me is for me. Mm. And I, I think it goes back to my mother is very religious and mm. she really believes in, and, and her belief transferred onto her children. Mm. And she always said, you cannot be envious of what that person has because you may not be willing to do what they did to get it. Right. So you want that car they have. You want that house. You want that husband. You want that. But you don't know what they did to get that. And you may not be prepared to do it. So so run your own race. Yes. Run the race that you have ahead of you and you will fall. You're going to have I mean, you'll have scrapes all on your knees. I can't tell you how many times I failed. Right. But in failing, I knew I didn't die. Mm. See, That's what it was. 
Yes, I've had some things happen to me that were incredibly painful. Some of them I put in the book and I couldn't believe I wrote those things. Mm -hmm. But what I do know is there was always the next day. There was always the next day. Mm. And so I believe in the next day. And because I do, I then believe in myself. Mm-hmm. That's so powerful. Yeah. So powerful. We get the book. If you're listening, get the book. It's fantastic. <laughs> thank you. It will change your perspective on life. Ch- get the book. Yeah, I can thank, attest thank to that you. for sure. For sure. For sure. <laughs> what are the passions as we start to round up? What other passions and interests can you share with us that may surprise us? Ooh, (laughs) Um, okay. I alluded to earlier that I'm a runner. So I've been Mm -hmm. a long distance runner for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, It truly is what balances me off because Mm -hmm. I run alone. So Mm -hmm. I don't run with people. I always run by myself. So the solitude of running Mm -hmm. allows me to complete my thoughts. Mm -hmm. It allows me to let things go. Mm -hmm. It allows me to forgive myself for things that I feel I've done wrong. And so I am a person who I love to apologize because if I'm wrong, I want to set the record straight. Right. Because I can't be responsible for how you react to it. I just don't want to hold the hot potato is what I call it. So running is my thing. Now, I'm also a scratch chef. I'm not always good, but I love a recipe. I think it's learning how to do something. Mm -hmm. And so I am a huge uh, chef at home. Now, sometimes these recipes, my kids are like, mom, that is not it. Right. That don't ever do that again. But (laughs) but I I practice a lot of different recipes or I try a lot of different recipes at home from baking to just regular uh, meat dishes to side dishes. I try to think of things that I are outside of what I grew up eating because I want to have my kids have an expansive palate. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that starts at home. Um, And I I really try to do things that are different and seasonings that are different. And then about, I would say four or five months ago, I pulled out this electric guitar that I got for Christmas when when I was pregnant with my twins and they're 10 now. So I've had this electric guitar for 11 years and I finally brought it out of storage, brought it up to the main floor, plugged it in, make sure it still works. So I'm going to start taking lessons now. Absolutely mm-hmm. amazing. I've always wanted to be in a band. And so my <laughs> contribution to the band would be the electric guitar. So I'm going to learn. I can, can I be part of your band? I Absolutely. <laughs> girl, we're going to have outfits. We're going to have our hair. Oh my God. They can't tell us nothing. Two cute girls like us. And smart. I love it. I love it. Yes, yes. Pencil me in. I'm right there. I'm right there. This has been so fantastic. Before I let you go, is there anything that you wish I would have asked or you'd love the audience to know? This is your opportunity. We'd love to hear it. I thank you for having me. It truly is more of a pleasure for me to be here than it is for you to extend this to me because I doubt it. I have truly, <laughs> I've read your book. I, I love the way you move. You know, your kids are inspirational to me. My daughter also wants to go to Stanford, um, oh. pave the road. And, and it's great reading how you've done it and how you are a fierce mother because you have to be. Mm-hmm. That is truly our job in life. Mm-hmm. And I love the way you've moved and, and you shared those hills and those valleys. So I appreciate you. But what I will say to the listeners is it's okay to be uncertain. Yes. It's okay. Yes. It is. Because yes. we, we don't have it all. Yes. But when you recognize that there's discontent in your life, truly that you're not happy, that it's okay to stop. I call it to pause and to pivot. Mm-hmm. It is okay to pause and pivot because that discontentment 
if you don't look at it, if you don't discover what it is, will eat away. It'll eat away at who you could be. It'll eat away at all the things you're striving for. And so you have to recognize that feeling is real and it's okay to have that feeling. It's not okay to ignore it. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. This has been so awesome. I love it. I'm going to go listen to this again. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's been amazing. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. you. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode. What was your main takeaway from this episode? What did you like? What, in your opinion, are some ways that we could improve? I want to hear from you. You can reach me at ugochi at fiercemothers.com. To learn more about Fierce Mothers, please visit our website at fiercemothers.com and join our mailing list for our weekly newsletter. The newsletter provides powerful tips and inspiration for life. Please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Fierce Mothers. Follow me on LinkedIn at Ugochi Onyewu. We are building an engaged community of Fierce Mothers, so please tell your friends about the show. See you next week. Thank you.